Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, you can take your seats. Um, uh, let me vote. Let me vote right now. And so I think this is the best region. And I have been to two other regions. So in comparison, uh, this is the best region. So so well done. You know, it's not just guesswork. Um, you know, there's something really good here. Um, I, I love being back. I, I, I love James. I love Michelle. I don't think there's a, a nicer person. Maybe, maybe Joel Osteen, but I don't think there's a nicer person on earth than James Hewitt. Don't you think, like, do you know niceness, right, is, yeah, but I think niceness has been devalued in the past, and, and the world has got a lot more nasty. And uh, a lot of uh, Christians have got quite woke, and they've become nasty as well. And I just think, I just think, I think about you and Michelle James, and I just think that, that you are, there's something about the future in you, not the past. And I think that in the past, I think you've been overlooked and underrated. But I think what you actually hold in your spirit is, is so rich, is just so fresh, is so clear that, that I've got a suspicion that I'm actually smelling the future through you guys. And so don't sort of think, well, that's the end, we'll just put up our, you know, put, hang up our shoes and that. I just think that God's going to use you in mighty ways. And I think there's, there's, coming a, there's already coming a tide shift in, in the way churches operate. And I think niceness is another word for kindness. I think kindness is what leads us to repentance. It's a powerful thing. And I think that, that you'll be bastions of this new spirit that's coming upon the churches in this country. Amen. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. And, uh, and it was great to be, honestly, I feel I was in Emerald for a couple of years uh, back in the early, my early days. And, uh, and I drive, I've got a guy in my church who invented a surf machine. It's a machine that creates waves where people can surf on. And it's 360 degrees. It's in the back of your poon, just a working model. So I saw that yesterday, and I felt great being in the outback, your poon. And, uh, and just, just, I just felt fabulous being back up here in central Queensland. And, and your friendliness, you're much friendlier than people in the Gold Coast. Like I, I actually, I actually love Nathan's vision that that everyone, every to to stop making us gurus. The age of the guru has gone. You know the 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 you know the age of the of the huge guy with all nine spiritual gifts wrapped up in one exciting package. You know what I mean, don't you? Just just it's gone. And uh, and the problem with the Gold Coast, the Gold Coast church-wise is boom and bust. Every church that's boomed has busted. It's true, isn't it, Chris? Every, every single church. And, and I thought, why is that the case? And it's because people build the hope on the guru. And guru culture is, is, is a part of Hindu culture, I think. It's not part of Christian culture. You know, that, that Paul, you know, planted Apollos watered, or whatever, if that's the right way around. You know, but it was God who was building his church. And uh, there ought to be honor, but not over honor. But I just think if we distribute the wealth and distribute the authority and distribute the goodness and uh, don't expect the pastor to do all things for you, I think, I think we'll, be, uh, we'll be in a good place. Uh, I want to firstly, there's, been a, there's a lot of COVID activists around. I don't know if it's come up north here, but I get really annoyed by them because they're always, they're always picking on me that I'm not joining in their fight. And, and I just, it really bugs me, you know, I'm into freedom, you know, they've, they've become freedom fighters, 
and, and they keep on knocking on my door saying, Dave, why aren't you joining us? And it's not that I'm not joining them. It's, it's just that my nose is up against the kingdom of this world. And I'm a, I'm a, a, you know, I've got a placard saying, let your kingdom come, your will be done. And I don't want to be too distracted by temporal things. You know, I just, I just think that, that COVID might make you die physically. And it's a, it's a bad thing. It's tragic. But there's something far more tragic. And that's eternal life in hell itself. And so let's come back to the centrality of the gospel. And let's not be sidetracked and become too woke and, and become uh, pick up smaller issues. I get it, though, uh, because it's been around for a while. When you get a revelation of something, right? You're on it, aren't you? And then you think, oh, everyone else is a bunch of slackers. You know, why aren't they on it as well? And so someone's got a revelation about freedom. And I say, go for it. Just just really go for it. But stop picking on me for not being involved in it. Because I've got my own revelation here. And uh, it's the same with prayer. Oh, the most annoying person in the world is someone with a revelation on prayer. You know, an intercessor. Because they keep thinking I'm the slacker. You know, they're the, we're not praying. If the church prayed more, the church that prays together stays together. We're not praying. I'm thinking, stop the naughtiness. You know, you've got a revelation of prayer. Just pray. And because you're praying a lot, thank you. I don't need to pray as much. No, it's a good thing, Matt. Because you could pray all day if no one's praying for you. But it's great that someone else has got a revelation of intercession. So I don't need to intercede as much as I would have to if they didn't have the revelation. So they, they need to stick with the revelation, but not stick with the dirty attitude that accomplishes that accompanies that revelation. And it's the same for those that read the Word of God a lot. Just just put it in your pipe and smoke it. Don't, don't put that on us. You know, just if you've got a revelation, then encourage other people with the revelation you've got. But don't condemn us. Even Jesus didn't condemn all of the pagans that nailed him to the cross. He's had a revelation. Oh, Lord, I just don't think they know what they're doing. He let them all off the hook. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty good example for a woke generation. And, and just, because these, just because mafia groups in the world are picking on you, don't pick on them back. You know, just because LGBTQ is trying to, trying to clip the wings of the freedom of God's church, don't, don't you know, carry around a pair of clippers to clip their wings. Just leave them alone. Stop becoming like the world. And, and you know, just become nice. You know, just, just get a revelation. And, and we've, we've, we've been activists for a long time now. I'm exhausted being an activist in full-time ministry for 35 years. I'm, I'm wiped out. I show signs of PTSD. <laughs> you know, but, but I should show signs of it. You know, the person who, who walks past me like, they, like they're, they're walking through the dandelions, you know, they've got no weight on their back. I'm thinking, what have you been doing? I've been on the front line where the kingdom of God is crushing against the powers of the kingdom of this world. I'm going to be slightly injured. I'm going to be slightly damaged by this. This idea of Christian nirvana, stressless, anxietyless, depressionless, I just feel like I'm so fresh, I'm on holidays. It's because you're not doing much for the kingdom of God. Where has the church got this nirvana from? 
You know, people's, people go to counseling, I'm going to be free from anxiety. No, what you're going to do is you're going to be managing that anxiety. And that's conquering your anxiety, putting it back from being a flood to a river, sticking some riverbanks on your depression. That's victory. But if you go for the nirvana of zero depression, zero temptation to depression, you're barking up the wrong tree because it happens rarely. Most of the kingdom of God is managing your mind by creating rivers and not floods. And building up the riverbanks that God's given you a spirit of power, spirit of love, and self-discipline, which is the ability to build banks upon rivers that could potentially be dangerous. So I just, I, there's something in the air that everyone wants this perfectionism stuff, and they never reach it, so they get more depressed. Have you noticed that? The Christians get more screwed up because they can't get to the perfect level where they think that everybody else possibly is. But none of us, all of us are slightly mental. And, and if you've been around for a while, you, let's be honest, we've got some quirks. <laughs> you know, we've got some reactions. We don't quite know where they've come from. You know, but... My scars show that I've been in action. I'm just not MI, I'm just not missing in action. I'm still in action. I got scars from 88. I got scars from the great walkout on 96. I got, got scars from, you know, the, 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 from, the, from the great disloyalty of 16. The man without scars, the woman without scars is the woman that's done little. For the kingdom of God. It's the sign that we've been there. We've done that. We've got the t-shirt. We've got something to show other people. And so all of that's not in my notes, but it's pretty good stuff though, isn't it? To start, <laughs> to start off a meeting. You, you know, let me say this about people leading our church. I'm going to talk about this. And this, this session is going to be longer. The second session after, uh, after you cool down with something to drink is going to be a lot shorter session. But I've been thinking that over COVID, and it might not happen in your church, but generally in churches, 25% of people haven't come back after COVID, generally. And if the pastor says 25%, it's actually 40%. So, because so, we know pastors, you know, they stretch the truth and some of them lie. And, uh, and so, you know, a lot of people haven't come back. But, and people have said to me, they've tried to condemn me a little bit. They've said, oh, it's because preaching hasn't been deep enough. It hasn't been discipleship enough. And I'm thinking, well, you might be right. I mean, I quoted Steve Jobs a lot. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because he said some pretty good stuff. You know, I've, I've quoted um, uh, Jordan Peterson quite a bit. He's, he's just an, he's unsaved, but wow, he's a genius and a huge bastion for Christianity. You know, and I could have preached Jesus a bit more in the past, right? But, and, and I, re, I could have done it, I could have made it heavier. The reason I made it light is because I'm trying to reach a generation. You know, you can always go back to Charles Spurgeon preaching, but no one's going to come and listen to that anymore. Because it's too intense. It's like intense cordial with no water in it. You can only have a sip of it, you know. You think, oh, it's going to be delicious. No, you can just have a sip of it, you know, that you have to water the thing down nowadays. It's just the way our culture is. And, and we're here to reach culture, not bounce against culture. And so, so you can call me compromised, but I've only compromised for the sake of the gospel of Christ, to get the gospel into people's hearts. But I've realized that, that in my heart, I've never compromised. You know, I might, I might preach shallow, but the stuff I put in the shallow end, I actually got from the deep end. It's just I dragged it into the shallow end. 
So it looks really shallow. I look like a shallow guy. But I got it from the deep end, from hell. I got it from Christ as central. It's just so I've dragged it and put, wrapped it in sanguine, wrapped it in a bit of sanguine humor. But that's the art of leadership, you know. But, you know, I realize this about communication, that, that 85% of communication is who you are, not what you say. You know, because, because people can read between the lines of what you say, and they, they can, they, if, you, if you share a bit of BS, they can tell there's a bit of BS in there. They, they, kinda, they follow who you are. They watch who you are. They're, they're reading. We're intelligent beings. We, we're good at reading people because so many people have ripped us off. We, we need to be good at reading people. And so people are reading pastors. I've been sincere year in, year out, month in, month out. I've been a Christian that's trying to be close to Jesus day in, day out, month in, month out for 35 years. So even the preaching might not be up to scratch, but don't condemn me for it because the motivation has been good. But the real activation of the gospel is who I am. And so don't, don't say, oh, Dave, it's because we haven't discipled. I've been a disciple all along. And there's got to be some deeper reasons why good people leave good churches. And I've thought of nine of them. Now, I hopefully won't get stuck on each of these points. Otherwise, we'll be here all day. We don't want that to happen, right? But point number one of why good people leave good churches, it's because Jesus prophesied it. And so you can't undo a prophecy from Jesus. And in the parable of the talents, he said, some seed is going to fall on hard soil. Some seed's going to fall on shallow soil. Some seed's going to fall on overcrowded soil. And some seed's going to fall on good soil. So you can see that Jesus has already almost prophesied. He said, you know, when the sun rises and the heat comes on, and the heat's coming on the church. Some of the things we believe in are that ambiguous. They've been called hate crimes against humanity. The heat's started to increase. The rate of persecution on the church is starting to increase. Jesus prophesied when that happens, some people will leave because they want an easy life. They want a fun life. They don't want any lobby groups knock on their door. They just want to have a peaceful life outside of peace from God. They just want natural peace that just comes from peaceful living. So Jesus said, some people are going to leave. And then we got the people in the last couple of years that are on the eternal long weekend. And they've enjoyed the pleasures of this world so much that Jesus prophesied that, that there'll be thorns sowed amongst you. And the thorns are two things. One is the anxiety that comes from having too much, owning too much, and having too much time to overthink. And the secondly is the deceitfulness of the pleasures of this world. And so Jesus said that they'll vanish as well. So we've got, we've got people vanishing because the heat's too hot. We've got people vanishing uh, because the thorns are too thick around about their lives. Jesus prophesied some people will not make it. Can I say this to all the leaders here? When it comes to leadership, Jesus got, let me think, 92%. He lost one. 
So why is it that, that you expect 100% leadership skills from what you do when Jesus Christ only started with 12 and he came out with 11 and he's the greatest leader the world has ever seen? So I just say, just reduce it down a little bit. You're going to lose some people, but it's not your fault. Jesus said, it's just the way it works. If you scatter seed, some will bounce off the concrete. They'll hear it. They'll enjoy it. It'll disappear. Others, deceitfulness of wealth, the powers of anxiety, the powers of persecution will cause them to lose their way, and they will not be there at the end. But Jesus prophesied that a majority of the seed will hit good soil. That's what we've got today. And out of that will come, and Jesus prophesied, the least of my prediction, Jesus said, was 30 times what's currently here. He said the greatest, which I, I suspect is symbolic, the greatest is 100 times. There is a revival coming. There is a move of God coming. There is an expansion of God's church in whatever form coming to God's church. He can't leave it as some seed fell on without maximizing, but some seed fell on good soil and produced a harvest 30 times, 60 times, or 100 times. Good times are coming to God's church. I don't care what the pessimistic prophet says. He's wrong. Because Good times come into God's church because Jesus Christ prophesied it. Can you say amen? Number two, the reason why good people leave good churches is because they never actually arrived in the first place. Their bodies were present, but their heart wasn't present. And you can tell when someone's not quite present. I can tell as a pastor because there's pressure for me to talk to them at the end of every service. I'm thinking, what is it about this person that I feel like, and that they always say, Dave, what's your vision? I'm thinking, why, why should I tell you my vision? Why do you constantly ask? Why are you like a sieve where everything put into it just empties out during the week? Why don't you get it? If they don't get it because they speak Italian and I speak Spanish. It's a completely different language because they haven't arrived at the heart of the church. And every person to come into church life has to overcome frustration and has to overcome friction in order to lay their lives down for the sheep of that church. And, you know, some people just don't want to do that because it takes sacrifice. But, you know, everyone enjoys the first few months in church life or the first six months in church life, and then they stop enjoying it because friction comes. But the friction is simply the River Jordan. It's the baptism into God's church, not just the baptism into Christ. And a lot of people need, but a lot of people haven't ever been baptized into it. And generally, God uses uh, some regular textbook techniques in order to bring them to a place of frustration. And the firstly is someone really similar to them comes into the church. <laughs> so now you get two of us. And, you know, I don't know if you saw Little Britain, which is a comedy routine uh, from England, and it was famous in England, but there's a skit in it called The Only Gay in the Village. And there's a guy who's wearing, like, like blue lycra, and he's in a Welsh village, right? And uh, he's, he's the only gay in the village, right? He's loving it. So the camera's just at the pub. He's wearing his blue lycra in the pub, and he's having a great time until another gay arrives in the village. And this is a skit that's repeated, like, 120 times because it's so funny. And the other guy's got pink lycra but he looks identical. 
And so you think that the first gay would think, oh, fabulous, there's another gay in the village. But instead of that, he thinks, I, I'm the only gay in the village. And so it creates a tension point, and then he does everything in the skit to get rid of the second gay in the village. And it, it's a universal principle that sometimes our feeling of specialness comes from our feeling of uniqueness. And when someone else similar comes along, it totally disrupts our identity in Christ. But it's an opportunity for you to lay down your identity in order to be risen in the corporate identity of the community of the church. You've got to get rid of individuality for a few moments in order to create a community culture in church life. Uh -huh. Secondly, when someone else gets promoted before you, that you're the one that deserves the promotion. So you're more talented, you're better looking, you can play the guitar better, you've been around a little longer than the other person, right? But God does that deliberately just to muck you around. He's thinking, I'm just the cam you think the camera's on them now because they're in the limelight, but the camera's on you to find out how you are in the low light. And it's just your baptism into laying down your life for the sake of the sheep. And you can never, you've got to build a church on the spirit of a shepherd, not the spirit of a hireling. But you become a shepherd. You're not born a shepherd. You become a shepherd by laying down your life. And so God puts a scenario where someone else leads a connect group and you don't want to go to that connect group because it should be your connect group. If you went to that connect group, you'd be laying down your identity, your individuality, and your human rights for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's great that you should discover your human rights, but Christianity is about letting go of your human rights in order to gain God's rights and God's authority upon your life. But let me say this, you've got to know what human rights are before you let them go. But you've got the most powerful thing you've got to let go of is human rights in order to get into the authority of heaven, the rights of the sons of God. So God takes people through some uh, difficult power shifts uh, in the life of the church. I think I've just got another example here, that when you have a shift in, lead, in core leadership, it sometimes disturbs people, in that a brother, if two brothers are risen up in the life of the church, if you make one brother part of the eldership, then the other brother, and I, they're not blood brothers, but just brothers in the life of the church, the second brother won't like that, and generally leaves the church. So, you know, it's, it's, and it's put back in the Bible, in the first couple of chapters in the Bible, the friction between Cain and Abel, the friction between brotherhood, and it would happen with sisterhood as well, that once you promote one of the two sisters, then the other sister finds it very difficult and often leaves the church because of the promotion of one of the brothers or one of the sisters. And I would say that's your opportunity to walk through the Jordan of laying your life down and laying your rights down for the sake of the kingdom of God. If you do, with created a powerful church. If you don't, then you'll take your weakness to another church. And as long as you're in the limelight, you're happy. But the moment the limelight shifts, and it always shifts, and even in church life, I know that in a lot of churches, the limelight's upon young adults. And, and church can't have a limelight on everybody. It's the reason why it's on young adults and often on youth is because once you reach your 30s, you're to grow up. And once you're in your 40s, just mature. It's time to mature. And once you're in your 50s, just get over it and, and just slap yourself. Because otherwise, you're going back to the nursery. 
and you're going back to, to constant attention and constant uh, someone lifting you up. There's going to come a time where you do what David did. You encourage your own heart instead of looking for encouragement from other people's hearts. There has to come a time you slap yourself and you simply grow up and become the man of God and the woman of God that God's called you to be. Stop being jealous of where the limelight is and stop looking at where the limelight is. And some of you in the country areas, stop thinking the limelight's in the city. If it is, it's your chance to grow up and stop picking up an inferiority complex thinking, how come all the good people go to the cities? Oh, it's because you'd be good if you stopped thinking like that. You know, stop picking up an inferiority. Well, I just live, no one cares. No, you're just off the limelight. No one sees you. But in invisibility, which is middle child syndrome, in invisibility, you've got a chance to frame your identity in Christ more than firstborn and lastborn because it's theirs for the shaping. It's yours for the shaping. You could handcraft an amazing church when you're in invisibility, when no one's pushing you to be a certain way, when you're free from the pressures of the world, you can create a magnificent church. I'm preaching brilliantly, aren't I? If I... I'm just going to put this in that every church goes through a seven-year cycle, and uh, the year number one is inspiration, year number two is activation, year number three is uh, delegation, uh, year number four is mobilization, so it's going well so far, year number four it's peaking, right? Uh, year number five is frustration, because that's when you double ganger. Is it double ganger? Doppelganger. when <laughs> your doppelganger appears, right? And so it's, so now you're frustrated. And then in year number uh, six, uh, now um, you're Mr. Contention. And year number seven, you've gone. But now rest comes upon the church. And in the spirit of rest comes reinvention. And the church is ready to go again. And I'll just say this, that that's a universal principle on year six is when tensions arise, uh, especially you're pioneering a church where there's a major shift happens in the church where you come into church life. And, uh, and that is God laying down the gauntlet and saying, either you're a shepherd or you're a hireling. And if people choose to become shepherds, we're winning here. It's better to have six shepherds than 60 hirelings. It's better to have a small church with a shepherd's heart than a large church with a corporate heart, with a cold heart. And so you might reduce down in church size, but you've actually increased in heart size. So to God, you're a bigger church with six than you ever were with 60. But you've got to go through a year six in order to come into the next seven-year cycle in church life. Uh, number three, uh, why good people leave good churches, is because we, we want the church to grow faster than it should be growing. So someone said to us, healthy things, healthy churches grow. May I, may I rebuke that? Because it's, it's, not, it's not true that everything that's healthy grows. I mean, it's, it's because it's ambiguous, because what they mean is vertically. But there's, a tree maxes out, doesn't it? You know, a human being maxes out. I mean, why does, why does the human being max out? Why don't you just keep on getting taller? Because healthy things grow. I'm sure we get wider. But... <laughs> But no one's talking about that. But it's true in church life that, that our, growth, our growth numerically doesn't necessarily have to keep on growing vertically, but it does grow in influence and it does grow wider beyond the boundaries of the church. So healthy things grow. But in the way people say it, you just get condemned thinking, why is my church not growing? So you stick some, some, uh, some formula on or some inject it with 
you know, some horse steroids in order to get the whole thing growing again. So you put people in positions of incompetency. And so I, I did that. I had went back in England in, I guess, year number three. We wanted to have a, a whole band, right, which is a dangerous thing to always have a whole band because you're going to put someone playing the bass who ought not to be playing the bass. Right? And, and, uh, and he's out the front, you know, stick him at the back there beside the sound system. He can play bass from back there, you know, so we can hear you but not see you. And uh, it's a joke, that, but it's also truthful, you know, because uh, there's pressure on everyone that you, you put in a role that's an exemplary role, that's a public role, is different to the people you can put on the car park or people that you can put on stewarding. Because one is a seen role, the other's a more unseen role. And so the expectations are higher for everybody in a seen role. And we had a guy after year number three who came in who drummed the European leg of the Duran Duran tour. Oh, my giddy aunt, I thought you're going to have to play drums for us. And so he brings this huge drum set in. We had, like, I was just mesmerized. I, I didn't worship for about eight months or so. I was just watching him drum. And I was letting everybody know that we've got the, I just, I left out the European tour bit and said, we've got the drummer from Duran Duran drumming in our church. Until he slept with somebody's cousin. And then we had to sort of say, hey, did you do it? He said, oh, eventually he said yes, right? So that was the end. I've never seen him again. But can I say the problem with our Duran Duran drummer wasn't Duran Duran drummer, it was me. Because I'm the guy who lifted him into a place of incompetency. And sometimes we do that, we do that with faithfulness, and we do that with frustration. You know, a chief steward, we think, oh, she's been so faithful, you look slightly bored, yeah, I'm a bit bored doing chief stewarding, so we make him an elder. Oh, that's the greatest mistake you can ever do is reward faithfulness. Faithfulness has its own reward. Faithfulness ought to be so enjoying the fact that I'm chief steward, so enjoying the fact that I'm building a highway for the kingdom of God and the presence of God to land in this meeting, that I just, I love every second of it. I've got no ambition plans to go anywhere, so pastor, don't take me from this place. But sometimes we can feel someone itchy, scratchy, and so we take them from that place to a place of greater authority. And yet they've never, they've never operated in that place before in their lives, not even in their workplace do they operate in that kind of field. And so it's disastrous from day one. It's like some bringing someone into the Australian cricket team that, that you know, plays for Nowra Cricket Club, you know, <laughs> that plays for Emerald Cricket Club. It's just, they're going to be embarrassed. And what happens with embarrassed people is, is and we, well, I let this happen, right, in order to save their embarrassment, because no one leaves the field saying, I'm hopeless. They leave the field saying, you're hopeless. Because it just, it just saves space for them. And, and so anyone who criticizes me, generally it's because they've been lifted to a place of authority they should never have been lifted to because there's pressure in us to do better than we actually are in a worldly kind of sense. And you need to take the pressure off and stop, stop being drawn by, uh, by the pressure of the big city churches. And also, I'll just say this about photography on Instagram. If you want to make your numbers look three times as much, just take the photo from the back corner there because it makes it look magnificently larger, right? Never take a photo from where I'm standing here because it looks a little smaller or from the stage behind the bass player looking this way. So if you, there's an art to photography to make it think like everybody else is booming except for us, that's because you're taking your photos from the wrong direction. That was free. <laughs> Number four is uh, we, they didn't leave us, we left them. 
You know if you're on a train and another train pulls up at the station and, and, and the other train moves, you're not too sure if the other train's moving or you're moving. And that's how it is. Often, often the person comes up to us and says, you know, we've decided to leave the church, right? But in actual fact, you left them six months ago. Because there was a big offering that went on six months ago where, where it was a free will offering that you decided to give generously. They decided to withhold their finances six months ago. For whatever reasons, they withheld their finances. So you, you joined the next train that's moving to the next move of God, the next station that God has for you. They're still back at the station. So when you're three, three kilometers away, they say, we've decided to leave the church. Have a look at it. They're back at the station. You left them. They didn't leave you. And every time there's a change of season, some people get left back in the previous season and never come to the new season. I'm, I'm sick of it in my church because I've taken on a church that, that uh, you know, has been going for quite some time and I've been there for a year or so. People are still saying, this is the way we used to do it. I'm thinking, put that in your pipe and smoke it because I'm not interested now in the way that you used to do it because we're not living in those days. And also, how many people, I don't say this term because I'm nice, how many people have actually stayed in the church from, from the way you did it? Answer, zero. <laughs> so you're telling me about a model you used that had no results. It's just ridiculous. But what it is, it's people living in the previous season. They're living at the train station. We've left, the Elvis has left the room. Elvis has left the train station. And we're living in a new move of the Spirit of God. So sometimes it's just simply an optical illusion. Number five, often the people that you took from A to B are different to the people you take from B to C. I'll tell you the reason for this, right? In this very, it's very difficult to be the person that takes someone from A to C uh, because usually when we meet up with people, they're in a crisis situation. And when we take them from crisis to survival, from A to B, uh, we still see them as a survivalist. And it's really hard. It's like your kids, you know. You, you, my, my child is 30 years of age, but I still see him as like 12. And even though he says, Dad, I'm not a child anymore, stop talking, don't call me boy, right, whatever, I'm thinking, it's really hard for me because I've got this impression that you're still younger than you actually are. And I think for human psychology, it's very, very difficult to adjust the way you used to see someone from the way they are now. And often God removes your children from you at 18, 19 years of age to then go somewhere else where they don't know the history. So they see them as a 20-year-old. They don't see them as a 12-year-old. And that's beneficial for all of us. And sometimes we, we take people as survivors, but they're not born to survive. They're not born to be valley people. Everyone's born to be mountain people. They're, they're born to thrive, not just survive. And so some people shift churches and arrive in other churches to obliterate their history. And I'm, I'm, even though I don't want anyone to leave my church, I can see the wisdom that God has in obliterating history. If you knew that someone, if someone says to you, yeah, I was in jail for seven years uh, through uh, aggression, right? It's very hard to, to, to forget that. You know, and so, and so because of that, sometimes they need a place where no one knows their history. Or until much later on, in order they might develop 
proper relationships with people so they're not always tying that person to their past. And I say that's human psychology, that, but that's the reason why there's some movement that, that we can't quite understand. Uh, number six is um, we forget there's three kinds of churches. There's regional churches and uh, there's city churches, there's suburban churches. Regional churches are into nurturing, they're into raising, they're into sending. City churches are into receiving the people you've sent. They're into... Um, they're into discipling and they're into multiplying. Suburban churches are into settling, they're into diversifying, and they're into sowing. Now, I just, can I say, forgive city, I've been in a city church all my life, but could you forgive the city churches for being so up themselves? Because, because they're the ones who take the credit, and yet you're the ones who created. You know, no one arrives just completely a blank canvas. They arrive as, as semi-trained, semi-ready. They arrive after being through children's church in, in Rocky. They arrived after someone's taken them through the tough years of uh, being a youth pastor. Then they arrive in the city church, and then the city church then takes them, releases them, sends them out to be a church planter in the Philippines and gets all the glory. And yet they're standing upon the shoulders of giants. That's why you want to stop thinking you're a stealing, someone's a stealing church and stop claiming theft, and start to move back into how God engineered it. Give them away. Send them. Send them to the city churches, and then let the city churches say thank you so much to the regional churches for sending us semi-made people. The process has, has two-thirds of the process has already got started within the lives. Thank you so much. But you need to understand that when it comes to church, some people go because in the city there's better universities. They go because in the city they're not close to their parents or being close to being overloved by mum. They, they've got a degree of freedom. But, but stop, you, you want to think, I'm giving them away instead of feeling like they've been stolen away. And number seven, why good people leave good churches uh, is because we often see ourselves, we don't want to be autocratic leaders. We don't want to be seen as uh, one-man show. Uh, we don't want to be seen as uh, one man on a swivel chair making all the decisions, right? So what we do, because of our insecurity of how people perceive us, we then create a team. And can I say this about some teams? There's nothing worse than a bad team. It's always better to be yourself on your own than have a bad team. Bad teams are terrible. You know, we've almost been tricked by teams. Oh, you've got to have a team. Got to have. No, some teams are terrible teams, you know. It's the same with marriage. The problem nowadays isn't, isn't marriage breakdown. It's marriage creation. They should never have got married in the first place. But because we're big condemners, we are, oh, no, 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 no. No, they, 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 the problem is marriage breakdown. No, no, the, the seeds of breakdown were there when sexual attraction drew them together and caused them to share their vows together. That's the problem, is the, the problem of breakdown was already there when they actually got married at the altar. And it's the same when a church splits. Often the eldership splits, but the eldership should never have come together. It's because one of the guys has money. Because one of the guys is a successful businessman that, that rates very little when it comes to spiritual management of a church, but we rate it incredibly highly. And we do it because we think we're dunderheads when it comes to finance, you know, but they're super good when it comes to finance. But you don't need to be a genius to run the finances of a church. We're not, you're not dealing with zillions of cash. You know, but you, often you feel inferior, you feel, oh, a bit insecure. Uh, you know, I'm going to, it's like someone who's, who's like half a person thinking, I'm going to have to get married 
meet another half person to create one whole person. It doesn't end up in disaster. A half person plus a half person equals a quarter person. It's just multiplied damage, you know. And what, what we do with the Scripture, one puts a thousand of life, two put ten thousand of life. It's amazing what one person can do. And in most of my relationships, two people aren't putting 10,000 to flight. I've rarely seen two put 10,000 to flight because it's only when one who's putting 1,000 to flight meets somebody else who's putting 1,000 to flight. And then we get together, now we can put 10,000 to flight. But one half-grown, insecure person meets another half-grown, insecure person. It just creates warfare and eventually splits. Can you see what I mean? So I would say it's good if you're trying to establish church life, trying to frame up like a plumb line, with Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel's plumb line, it's good to be a one-man show for a while. Jesus was at times full of authority. Other times he fully delegated. So his security says, sometimes I'm going to take the reins back again. I'm going to do all of the preaching. And some other times you're going to then distribute the preaching. But that flexibility is a sign of health, not unhealth. Too much delegation is a sign that you lack the confidence because you're too worried about what people think about you. It's a great point, that. Now, here's my, I've got two more. Uh, in number eight, we get, this is pretty simple, we get pressured into, um, pressured into the need for diversity. So the need for age ranges, uh, sexual, sex differences, not sexual differences, sex differences, uh, race, race uh, diversity, ethnicities, uh, financial diversity, different equity, um, social strata, you know, someone from both sides of the tracks, and it's disastrous. You know, what, what, this is what happens whenever, whenever you select people based on, I'm trying to create a diverse group here, is, is you create opinionism. Opinion replaces revelation. And Jesus said, you'll build the church on a revelation of Christ. And so what we've got amongst the church now is a lot of people with a lot of opinions. Opinions do nothing. It's a revelation of Christ that God builds his church. And so eventually someone's got an opinion on it over the choice of the carpet. Someone's got an opinion over Israel. Someone's got an opinion about the tribulation. Someone's got a, and they're all opinions. It's because they saw it on YouTube. So everybody's got an opinion. And now I've got an opinion on COVID. I've got an opinion on masks. Got an opinion. Just, just listen, just God doesn't build his church on masks or no masks. He builds his church on a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So stop trying to get to, it's a bit of diversity is good and healthy, but when you get there is God's choice. How long the journey is is God's choice. When you speed it up quickly and beyond God's pace, you end up striving and you end up in big trouble. Here's my last point is that is there is a, the reason why good people live good churches is because, how about the keyboard player coming up? Because this will turn into very quick ministry. It's a new season of sovereignty. Right now, it's a new season of sovereignty. This is what, this is what Isaiah says. You know what I'm going to read here. Forget pre-COVID. BC. Forget BC before COVID. Just forget it. Don't dwell on the past. Why? Ta-da, I'm doing a new thing. You know, there's a little dance show going on from the Holy Spirit. That's why it says, can't you perceive it? I'm doing a dance show here. 
It's already started. You can feel the flitter of angel wings. It's already started. The new thing that God's done already started. But, but we dwell on the past. There, there's one of the SpongeBob's episodes. He sung a song from uh, Cheap Trick, a famous British band. And the title was, This Town Ain't Big Enough for the Both of Us. And I want to say that your brain is not big enough for your past and your future. And if the first people to cross over the threshold in the future has got to be you. I would suggest you want to forget everything about BC. Don't even use it as a measuring rod. Don't even think, yeah, we're getting back to how it used to be. Oh, why would you want that? When it's a brand new season in God and God's bringing up new, new revelations, new things, new movements, new people, new voices. New, new sense of identities in Christ. There's, there's a change going on so much that you, you just can't compare. It's like comparing uh, an 18-year-old to a 12-year-old. You, you can't really compare. And sometimes you need to stop missing the old times because they, for you, were the best of times as well as the worst of times. But, you know, sometimes the best of times can be a curse on you because you want to forget those times. I said to James and Michelle that, that the one expression I know that I've got for them, that God's got for them, is the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And I say that for each one of you. There's too many voices. There's too much confusion. There's too much condemnation. You're doing better than you realize. But you know, I'll just finish on this, right? You're going to be free to leave as well. I just, I, just, I, I need to say that to you. Because otherwise you think, oh, everyone else is leaving, right? Everyone else is moving on, except ours. Why? You know, well, you move if you want to. Because it's such, it's such a big change that's going on across the whole of the earth. And there's migration happening. Even for us to leave England and come back to Australia, it, it was a huge kerfuffle. But it was part of God's plan to migrate. And sometimes God uses persecution, but he did that with Joseph total persecution from brothers in order to migrate him from Canaan to Egypt. So I just say that, that each one of you needs to have the freedom now to make your own decision. Either the season's finished for you and it's time for someone else to rise up or it's a brand new season for you as well. Like I, I feel really good at the moment because I feel like I'm in my new season. I've got to be my own greatest fan. You know, because some people think, oh, you, Dave, you're a little too old for a new season. Or, or Dave, you, you, your voice is whatever. I don't care what you think anymore. I really don't. I mean, I've got a closed, every bit of my social media is now closed off to idiots. Because I don't want to hear what they've got to say. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to create a hothouse environment here and close the doors and close the windows of doubt and heal Jarius's daughter, which is healing the, the man of God within me. Say, rise, rise up from the bed. You're just sleeping, Dave. Rise up. This is your new era. And so we're going to even kick out nine of the disciples and just do this with three of them. See, it's a precious thing, this. But, but you, want, you need to have the choice. You need to not think that God's just laboring you, that God's forcing you. Because I'll predict this next season, even though there might be a little bit more persecution around, it's going to be a really happy season. I'm going to predict that and say it's going to be quite a joyful season. It's going to be quite fun. It's going to be, in the words of Jesus, light and easy. 
because we'll be casting our burden onto Jesus. He's going to fight for us. He's going to stand up for us. He's going to do supernatural things for us. We're going to see more miracles than ever before, more signs, more wonders than ever before. It's going to make us feel quite happy. It's a brand new day. So I just think if you could, if you could maybe have a, a uh, burial, grab some relics from the past, a couple of people, <laughs> dig a trench. You know, Abraham in Genesis 23, five times he said, I need to bury my wife. Sarah lived to 127. She died at Hebron in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and weep over her. It's part of the grieving process. Then Abraham rose. Oh my goodness me. He rose from beside his dead wife. And he spoke to someone, said, I'm a foreigner, a stranger here. Sell me a property for a burial site. I'm going to bury the dead. Some of you things have died, but you ain't, you ain't buried them. You've got these dead bodies all around thinking, oh, some, so it's been a bit of a war zone. Yeah, yeah, it's time to bury the bodies. You know, it's time to have a little funeral. You know, just go out the back of your house, get, get, get some matches from when you used to smoke. You know, and just grab a few things, a few trinkets from the past and just burn them just so that you can call that a burial because otherwise you'd be thinking, something's died, but I never buried it. And when you have a burial service, you do start with thanksgiving for the person. You do then move into emotions for losing that person and then you do commit ashes to ashes, dust to dust, spirit to spirit. You commit it to God and then you close the door and you leave the cemetery. And I would say for some of you, that's the best thing you could ever do is to is to have a, f- a funeral service and then leave the cemetery and do nothing that reflects the past but everything that reflects the future. Have eyes that look to the future. Reflect the future, speak the future and don't let people who are still glued to the past run your show because we're here for the future, not here for the past. I'm going to pray for you, right? And we'll have a short break and then I'll come back for a really short session. Father, I pray that you dislodge people right now. I pray that the freedom that I've got would be the freedom that they'd be sharing. I pray free them from condemnation and free them from over-responsibility and free them from a sense that, that, that they're the ones that are left digging the trench. They're the ones that are left at the rock face when others have gone and, and, and being free to go to the big smoke and being free to, to be on a permanent holiday. Father, I pray you to release them right now from over-expectation, from over-responsibility. And Father, I say to each one in this room, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Just, Just take it right now and let God's joy be upon you. And don't be led by condemnation or led by responsibility. Just simply be led by every word that's spoken by the mouth of God. Be led by the Spirit of God. God's saying these are the sons of God, those that are led by the Spirit of God. And some of you just need to take off overseas and some of you just need to stop the show and then start the show. It might look like the same show, but it's totally fresh. It's totally authentic. It carries none of the begrudgery of yesterday and none of the, none of the, the wounds of yesterday. It updates you from being someone of the future to, from being someone of the past.
And Holy Spirit, let the power of God come in this room right now and release people. Lord, take away the spirit of condemnation. Take away the spirit of being under the eight ball. Take away the spirit that has told them that they're not good enough. And Father God, it's not a matter of us. It's a matter of you and us. We were never born again by ourselves. It was with you, God. And so guide us by fire and by cloud and guide us by your beautiful, kind hand and guide us and minister to us and bring us back to where it all began, our first love and start the process again within each one of our hearts, Lord God. Father, we want to be part of a new move of the Spirit of God, but we want it to be where you want us to be. We want to be led by you to places and callings that you're calling us to. And so right here, right now, this morning, Father God, we say, so long past. We thank you for everything that happened in the years prior. We thank you for our identity. We thank you for the magnificent touches upon our lives from time to time. But we say so long, goodbye. And Father, with your help, we'll stop dwelling on the past because you are, behold, doing a new dance. And help us, God, to see it. Help us to feel it. Help us to get into it. Help us to shut the door to doubters and to cynics. Help us to find this new movement of the Holy Spirit that you're doing in central Queensland. Let there be a magnificent fresh move. Come down from central Queensland into the big smoke, into the big cities, God. But let us start here, Jesus, in a place of invisibility, in a place of easy reinvention. And let the middle child show the older child and the younger child the new direction of where the future is going. And Holy Spirit, bless us, God. Let happiness and joy be characteristics of our lives that people would think, why are you so happy? And people would know it's the Spirit of Christ. Help us to manage our depression, manage our anxiety, manage our emotions, manage our temptations. And help us, Lord, we thank you. You've made us more than conquerors through him who loved us. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. That was, there was some deep stuff in that. Thank you. Stuff to chew on. Let's take a quick 10-minute break. Head out to the toilet if you need to. Grab a drink. Back in here at 20 past 12 for another short second session. Thank you. <laughs>